0: see it every day on social media. We are constantly being bombarded with information about the best way to lose weight, the best way to exercise, tone, and trim our bodies. But how much of that is truth? And how much of that is fiction? Today I'll be speaking with health and fitness expert Michelle O'Brien who works with clients throughout North America to dispel some common myths with diet and exercise to help guide you in your quest to be the healthiest version of you possible. Got with us, Michelle O'Brien. Michelle is big in the fitness industry, and we are going to be talking about dispelling common myths with diet and exercise. So Michelle, thanks so much for joining me today. So perhaps you could start off by introducing yourself and just letting us know a little bit more about your background. Thank you so much, Lisa. It is a pleasure to be on your podcast. Um, I am an accredited and practicing kinesiologist, a nutrition specialist, and a wellness coach with a special focus in cardiac rehabilitation, chronic disease prevention, and weight management. Um, I'm also the owner of O'Brien Fitness, which is a local and online health and wellness business. Awesome. And so, if people are interested in working with you, which I highly mm-hmm. recommend they do, how would they get in contact with you, Michelle? Yes, of course. Um, they can go to my website. It is O'BrienFitness.net. That's O B R I E N fitness.net. Or they can reach me through Instagram. At O'Brien Fitness. Great, and at the end of the podcast too, I want to talk about how people can get a hold of your recipe books as well. Because sure. I've bought them, and uh, <laughs> I, there's some. I don't know how you come up with these recipes, but they are <laughs> spectacular. So, and Thank the you. desserts too. Highly recommend the desserts. <laughs> Thank so, you. <laughs> so we'll talk about that at the end. Sure. So uh, stay tuned for that. So, okay, we've got quite a few dispelling or we've got quite a few myths here that we want to mm-hmm. talk about and bust mm-hmm. these myths. And so I guess the best thing would be I'll I'll, I'll uh, let you know about some of these myths and then you can answer mm-hmm. them. How's sure. that sound? Great. Sure. That sounds great. So, okay, definitely I've heard this one. You can spot reduce fat. Oh, yes. I have so many people that come to me, you know, new clients or, you know, people that I see in fitness facilities, and they'll start grabbing onto their fat, whether it's their midsection, they'll grab onto um, what my... uh, grandmother used to call the gravy dippers or or the (laughs) the arms that waves back at you. So essentially they're grabbing onto their uh, tricep fat and uh, they'll pinch it and they'll say, you know, what exercise can I do to get rid of this? Now, the thing of it is, uh, no matter how much you exercise, you're essentially – Strengthening and building the muscle tissue beneath the fat. So, say for example, if we take crunches, a lot of times people think that, oh, you know, to get the, the six pack abs, you got to do 200 crunches a day. Uh, and that's totally false because um, when you're building muscle, when you're exercising, you're essentially just building the muscle tissue. Now, in order to actually see the muscle, you need to lose the body fat, which is actually going to come from your diet. So I always say that, um, you know, the gym makes you strong or exercise makes you strong, but the kitchen is actually what makes you lean. And in terms of body fat, um, we think of, you know, well, I want to lose it in my hips or I want to lose it in my thighs. And, And the thing of it is, you know, genetically, we are predisposed to where we're going to carry body fat. So, um, Generally, if your mother or your grandmother or on your you know father's side um his mother or you know i 'm talking about women, if they tended to have a more apple shaped body, so that's what's called the android shape and it's basically just fat accumulation around um Uh, The abdominal area. Um, You know, we all know women that have the most beautiful toned legs, yet they carry all their body fat around their midsection. And then, you know, you might be predisposed to more of a gynoid shape, which is sort of that pear shape. And that's where you're going to carry body fat around the hips and the thigh area. Um, Obviously, from a health perspective, it's healthier to be a gynoid shape than an android shape because we don't want a lot of um, adipose tissue or fatty tissue around the organs, around the midsection. Um, It is actually better off around our butt and our thighs. But essentially, your body is going to decide where exactly that fat is going to come off. And typically, when we lose body fat, it's usually in places that are less stubborn. So you might lose it in your face, you might lose it in your feet. I mean, I've got clients that tell me after losing 50 pounds, they wear a shoe size, a half size smaller, because now they've lost the fat on their feet. Wow. um, (laughs) Yeah, you could lose it in your hands. That's why, you know, your rings and your jewelry become a lot looser. So your body is actually going to decide where exactly it wants to lose fat. And typically, it tends to be the stubborn area that gets lost the last. And also is the last place um, uh, or is the first place to come on. Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, wow, people actually lose fat on their hands and their feet. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but it does
1: absolutely. make sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So what about um, toning? So um, one of the myths is you can gain muscle and lose fat at the same time. Yes. Yes. that's the, honestly, You can't? The, it, <laughs> no, no, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. That's the first thing that, you know, when I ask somebody, I've got a, a long questionnaire form that um, a new client will fill out when I start working with them and, Nine times out of 10, especially with females, when I ask them what their goal is, they'll obviously say weight loss, but they'll also say, I want to tone. And so when I clarify things with them, I say, okay, so basically you want to gain muscle and lose the fat that's covering it. And they say, exactly. And then Mm. I get into the science behind it is that you actually cannot gain muscle and lose body fat at the same time. It's impossible. There is an exception, and I'll get to the exception. However, um, in order to actually gain lean muscle mass, we need to be in a caloric surplus. So we need to be consuming more calories than we're burning. With that, however, also comes a little bit of fat gain. So if you want to, you know, build your glutes, you want to build your shoulders, you want to um build your quadriceps at your leg muscles um you're going to have to be eating more calories than you actually burn in order to put that muscle on and obviously with that is going to come a little bit of fat gain now in sorry did you want to Oh yeah, to was, yeah yeah i was just going <laughs> to mention that it it yeah when you say that it does make sense because um, if you if you watch bodybuilders, they'll uh-huh. lean out during competition, yes. but in the off season they you bulk up and that's because yes. they're building muscle, right? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And and so to lose that body fat you actually have to be in a caloric deficit. So you Mm -hmm. have to be consuming less calories than you're burning. At the same time, too, though, a little bit of muscle mass is sacrificed at the same time. So you do lose a little bit of muscle when you lose body fat. But hopefully, if you're working with an educated coach that has a science background, they'll be able to minimize the amount of muscle loss that you will sustain. And really, yeah, and the exception really, um, where people can, easily gain muscle and lose body fat at the same time is usually people that are very new to exercise people that have really never lifted weights before. And usually right. it's, it, 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 it doesn't last long, but usually in the first four to six months, they'll see both gains in muscle mass and losses in body fat, but then it will taper. So that is really the only exception. And as coaches, we call that newbie gains. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That is very interesting. Okay, so one of the other ones we have here is you have to cut carbs out of your diet to lose uh, fat. <laughs> Enter the keto diet, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, well, we have. What we need to understand is that our brain actually runs on glucose. Mm-hmm. Carbohydrates, basically carbohydrates in their most simplest form, is glucose, is sugar, and. Glucose is actually our body's most preferred source of energy. Uh, Your body prefers carbohydrates over protein and fat for energy any day. And actually, in actuality, protein does not give you any energy to fuel you for your workouts, to fuel you for your day. Um, You can derive energy from fat. But however, your body does prefer carbohydrates. And I think the misconception out there is that, um, you know, you know, you eat, you eat bread, and then you gain weight, you eat pasta, and you gain weight, what we have to understand is that we live in a society of portion distortion. And when you go to a restaurant, you're served probably about six to eight servings of pasta, than you actually need, Um, you know, when you look at, you know, when people eat bread, you know, they'll, they'll, overdo it on the amount of bread that they're consuming. They overconsume just carbohydrates in general. And the thing of it is about carbohydrates is that anything in excess of what our body can store as glycogen will be stored as body fat. So there's actually three holding tanks for glycogen. So basically, you know, you eat a, a, a piece of fruit or a chocolate bar, it doesn't matter what it is. Your body's not going to say, oh, thanks, Lisa, for giving me that piece of fruit, or oh, gosh, Lisa, you gave me a chocolate bar. I'm going to go all the fat, right? So basically, (laughs) your body identifies it as a carbohydrate. It breaks it down into its, its respective subgroups, which fiber is one part of a carbohydrate that your body actually cannot digest. So it passes through your system completely undigested, and then it starts breaking down the saccharides or the monosaccharides or the disaccharides into its most simplest form, which is glucose. After that, your body stores that glucose as glycogen in three places. It goes to your liver, it goes to your muscles, and it goes to body fat. Now, all of us are basically born with certain size of liver like you can't make your liver any larger and your Mm -hmm. liver doesn't can hold uh, glucose or glycogen but it can't hold a lot of glycogen and so the next two places it can revert to is muscle tissue and fat now if you're an individual who doesn't do a lot of weight training and doesn't have a lot of muscle mass there's not a lot of glycogen capacity there so essentially the more muscle mass that you carry The higher your stores for glycogen are. So when those stores are full, so your liver is filled up and your muscle tissue is filled up, your body has no other option than to store it as body fat because we cannot have free floating glucose in our bloodstream. Okay, that's why diabetics really have to manage their carbohydrates uh, with insulin um, or medication because mm. they have to make sure that they're not over consuming it so that they don't have any free floating sugars in their bloodstream. Because we actually we we would die. If we had too much and the, the if we had too much sugar or glucose in our bloodstream and it wasn't going anywhere, we would die. So right. we, it needs it needs to go somewhere. So most of the time what happens is that people are over consuming carbohydrates or glucose in excess of what their body can store and so your body just stores it into its fat cells and the thing about your body is that it loves to store things in fat cells because essentially glucose is just energy so basically your body is saying you know what i'm just going to stockpile this and store it for later in the event of famine now the thing about fat cells is that your body can produce more fat cells. So once those fat cells are all filled up, your body says, okay, well, liver is full, and my muscle tissues are full. So I'm just gonna make more fat cells because all of these other fat bellies are all filled up. So at the end of the day, when people are carrying around excess body fat, and blaming, like, you know, carbohydrates in general, for that reason, it's not eating carbs in general that makes them gain body fat. It's the fact that they're over-consuming glucose in excess of what their body can store. Right. Wow. Okay. So what what we need to do is basically just find out, and that's why the questionnaire form that I give my clients is really in depth because Mm -hmm. I want to find out and have an idea of how much, glucose their body can actually store so that I can give them a reasonable amount of carbohydrates in order to fuel their muscles in order to fuel their voluntary and involuntary functions um, in order to prevent them from feeling tired weak shaky cranky because let's be honest you know (laughs) we've all tried to go low carb at one point and you're yep. probably not the nicest person to be around, right? Nope. <laughs> so, so and, and, and this is just sort of where that balance comes in, is that we need carbohydrates. It's just that we need to understand how much carbohydrates us as individuals need. Right. Not, not us as a whole, you know, comparing athletes to um, a sedentary person that has a sedentary job. That's the reason why athletes carbo-load, because of the fact that, that they will drain all that glycogen out of their muscle tissue so fast just doing endurance training. So they need a higher amount of glucose, right? They need more carbohydrates. That's why, right. you know, some people say, I don't understand, like, this person is a marathon runner. And I get that they're a marathon runner. And, and, and they're really quite thin, but they eat gobs and gobs of pasta. And I see them, uh, you know, they're always pounding all this bread and oatmeal and like, where is it going? <laughs> and it's just because of that is that they need to fuel their effort. So, um, you know, when we're looking at somebody with a very low glycogen capacity storage, we have to tailor things to that, that they basically just get less carbohydrates than an athlete would. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So um, this next question will go right along with that, I think. So Mm -hmm. eating fat makes you fat. Okay. (laughs) Um, Eating fat does not make you fat. Um, fat. Um, And and particularly healthy dietary fat is essential. Um, Approximately 30% of our total calories should actually be coming from healthy fat sources. And when I talk about healthy fat sources, I talk about, you know, avocados, uh, nuts, seeds, um, uh, you know, if you use like olive oil, coconut oil, um, fatty fish omega-3s, that kind of thing. So 30% of calories should be coming from healthy sources of fat. And we need fat for our hair, skin, and nails. We need fat for brain function. In fact, over 70% of your brain is actually all fat. Um, And so we need it for that as well. We need it to lubricate our joints and and, and to regulate our hormones. That is very essential. Um, The thing about fat, though, is that fat is very calorically dense. So when you look at the breakdown of nutrition that fat offers us, fat carries nine calories per gram. And when you look at, say, carbohydrates and protein, carbohydrates and protein carry four calories per gram. So essentially, fat is over twice as calorically dense as protein and carbohydrates. So we just have to make sure that we're not over consuming it. So, you know, even if I get a client that is a quote, unquote, clean eater, and, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll give me their food log over five days, and I'll look at it. And I'll think, you know, yeah, that that's a lot of clean food, man, they eat better than I do. (laughs) But then I'll notice that, oh, my gosh, like, this individual is grabbing a handful of almonds, like three or four times a day. And so then when I calculate the amount of fat that they're actually consuming, they're consuming like 500 calories in excess in fat alone, just from the nuts. And sure, almonds are great for us. Avocados are great for us. You know, nuts and seeds are great for us. Nut butters are great for us. But the thing of it is, these these, um, fats are very calorically dense. So we just have to make sure that we're very mindful of our portions when it comes to healthy fats as well. So do we get fat? From eating fat? Absolutely not. We just have to make sure that we get the proper portion that we need. Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. Okay, so the next question is HIIT training is mm-hmm. far superior to list training. And I'll be I'll be honest, I have never heard of list training. I've heard of it. Okay, HIIT. okay, okay. So I'm guessing it's the opposite. <laughs> yes, correct. Correct. So HIIT training stands for high-intensity interval training. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, let's say, for example, you look at um, somebody that goes on a treadmill and they sprint as fast as they can for, you know, 10 or 15 seconds, and then they rest. So they might – just completely stop moving which i would not recommend i see this all the time where people just jump off the treadmill and they you know they they take their legs to either side of the treadmill and they just let the belt go underneath them i mean that's a yeah. recipe for disaster in terms of injury um nor is it is it good for your um, central nervous system but anyway i digress so it's basically <laughs> doing uh you know short bouts of really intense Movement and then resting, and then repeating that rinse and repeat over and over for about 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, usually is about maybe 15 to 20 minutes, um, as opposed to um, uh, list training, which is low intensity. Steady state exercise. So instead, it would be somebody on a treadmill at a steady pace. Maybe they, you know, they're walking at a brisk pace of four to four point five miles an hour. They're walking on a flat incline, and they're just going for about forty-five minutes. Okay, um, both of those, you know, one of them takes fifteen to twenty minutes, the other one takes forty to forty-five minutes. But essentially, the person is essentially burning the same amount of calories over time right right? it's just the time is different but they're essentially burning the same amount of fuel and the thing that we have to be so so is one far superior than the other absolutely not it is definitely a preference so you know there's a lot of people that are really intense people they're intense exercisers and they prefer HIIT training Um, on the other hand there are people that could not care less. Like I am not a hit training kind of person. I, I do not like intense exercise like that. I don't like going at maximal effort. So I have absolutely no problem, you know, throwing on like YouTube or, and, and, or, or throwing on your podcast and listening for the next 30 to 40 minutes and doing list training. That's what I personally prefer. Now, when we look at a, hormonal response, when it comes to hit training and lift training, um, hit training actually raises your cortisol levels, because, and cortisol is a stress hormone. Now, mm-hmm. the reason why it does this, and let's go back to, you know, the Paleolithic age, where we're literally running from the woolly mammoth, or we're running from the lion. Um, When we're running and we're sprinting like that, your body releases cortisol and it releases adrenaline. It's that fight or flight. And so when we're doing HIIT training, essentially we are recreating that pattern. Now, unfortunately, our body doesn't know the difference between running from a lion or somebody, you know, some wild animal ready to attack them, or being on on a treadmill in a gym. It just knows um, the intensity at which um, you're exerting effort and so cortisol levels climb as well as um, obviously adrenaline climb and the problem with that is that when done in excess so if hip training is something that somebody is doing all the time and I know and I'm not going to name any specific studios out there but there are some of those boutique yep. style studios now that mm-hmm. are really all about HIIT training. And it's like, go hard, you know, as hard as you can, as, as fast as you can. And, you know, and if you're not sweating buckets, and you're not working hard. Um, the problem with that is that cortisol levels always remain elevated. So from a fat loss perspective, your body is not going to give you a positive position or an optimal position to lose body fat because you've put so much stress on it. So I always recommend to clients that, you know, if you really like HIIT training, maybe just keep it to two times a week. And then on the other days, do list training. You need a combination of the two. Um, Is one far superior than the other? Absolutely not. Um, Again, like, I'm, I, I'm a little bit biased because I do love list training. I love going for long walks. I love hiking. That's the way that I get my cardio in. Is, right. is, you know, me walking at a brisk pace with my dog far inferior than somebody sweating buckets for 15 minutes on a treadmill? Absolutely not. And, you know, Lisa, honestly, in the world that we live in nowadays, we have enough stress in mm-hmm. our lives to begin with. Our cortisol levels are already jacked. Exactly. So I, I, you know what? I just think that the, the most important thing that you can do is, you know, stop and smell the roses, you know, like, and that's why I love taking my dogs for a walk because, you know, like we walk really brisky, briskly and then, you know, he likes to stop and zip things and then sometimes he'll like to pause and kind of he'll look around and that's my time to seriously pause, take a deep breath in, breathe in that fresh air, take in my surroundings and you know what? I'm in a far better position when I come back. To my office or to my client and really refocused and ready to work, then really getting my system jacked up on even more stress. So a lot of times what I do is if I have a client that says, I don't understand what I'm, I'm, I'm not doing or not doing enough of, they said, you know, I'm doing these, you know, kit training, group fitness classes, like, five times a week, and yet I can't lose body fat. And, and my workout on my, um my, my diet is really clean. And, and, and I'm sleeping and, and all that kind of thing, but I can't lose fat. Well, yeah, because mm-hmm. like, you got to slow down, like maybe let's throw in some meditation. And sometimes actually <laughs> what I do is I tell them, okay, maximum, you're going to do this once per week. And we are going to calm you the, you know, yeah, yep. <laughs> yep. You can <laughs> say that word. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's like, it's not what you need to be doing more of. It's like, whoa, we gotta scale things back a little bit. So um, that's the approach I like to take. I'm not saying that I don't, I don't recommend hit training. It's not like I don't program for hit training, but at the same time, there it's about balance, right? Absolutely. So I love this message because um, I have had the experience of working with a trainer in the past who told me to go guns blazing like every day for like, well, it was seven days a week for a number of weeks. Wow! And then wow. it went to to six days a week. But I did that for, I just knocked myself out for like probably oh. two years. And mm-hmm. I did lose the weight. It plateaued for sure. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what I found was because my job is quite stressful. Yeah. stress stressed in that area and I'm feeling like completely exhausted all the time and I'm in my 40s on top of it Mm -hmm. so I'm Mm -hmm. feeling things change in terms of energy levels and hormones Mm -hmm. and all of that too. Mm -hmm. I I just couldn't do it and I I hit a wall and I got burnt out and I know from talking to my friends that Mm -hmm. the same thing is happening to them as well. So Mm -hmm. I'm really glad we talked about this because I think it would resonate with a lot of people. Absolutely. And you know what, I, I'm not afraid to ask my clients to, to get a cortisol um, blood work, like a cortisol. Um, yeah, panel check. Absolutely, because yeah. I want to know, like, I mean, is there cortisol elevated already? And, you know, uh, if it's an individual who says, you know, I'm thinking of joining this you know, group fitness studio that is super high intensity and I'll say, whoa, 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 okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's back up the truck here for a second because there's a lot of underlying issues. It's about the whole spectrum. You know, it's it's a lot of times we just think, eat less, move more. When I'm sorry, but if you are rest to the max with whether it's your job, whether it's raising a young family, whether maybe it's finances, relationships, um, and and then throw Mm -hmm. into the mix, maybe you're not sleeping well. So, you know, when we're not sleeping well and we're not getting into our REM sleep, well, our cortisol is jacked, right? And testosterone, it goes down, human growth hormone goes down, recovery suffers. You know, there's so much more to it than just how we move um, or you know the energy we expend and the energy we consume. Um, there's a lot more to it than that, and and I think that it's really important that that you know anybody out there that is looking to work with a coach or or take on a program um, that all of these areas are being looked at. It's not you know like move more exercise or and and, and eat less. It's it's not that simple. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Great point. Um, Okay, let's cover off on this next one. Intermittent Mm -hmm. fasting is the most Ah. effective way to burn fat. (laughs) Love Uh, this one. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Now, you know what? I don't want to throw intermittent fasting under the bus. I mean, I think that, um, you know, uh, and and basically intermittent fasting, and let's define that. um, I mean, let's go back to even you know, the, the caveman age, the hunter-gatherer age, like mm-hmm. our bodies are actually used to fasting for long periods of time and feeding. So this isn't anything that our body isn't accustomed to. Um, right. and, and and intermittent fasting can be fantastic on your digestion because, and I mean, there's a certain, you know, there's probably two or three protocols that, that there are to follow. And basically what it is is that, the premise is that you have an eating window and you have a feeding window. So the most popular ones, uh, which is also known as the lean gains approach, is um, that you fast for 16 hours and you feed for eight hours. So you have an eight-hour eating window. And, you know, some, some of them are, a, uh, are are more aggressive than that. It's a 20-hour fast and it's a four hour feeding window. I mean, I don't know about you, but to consume (laughs) all the calories that you need in a day in four hours. Um, And, you know, so there's different approaches that you can take to that. But, you know, at the end of the day, the, the downside that I see, and just coming from a social aspect is that it's not convenient. You know, like, Let's take, for example, your line of work, Lisa. If you are on a business trip and you are at a business dinner and maybe you are, um, you know, you're working with a client and you go out to eat and you've decided that you're going to do intermittent fasting. And so you need to, based on your protocol, you need to stop eating at 8 o'clock in the evening. Well, your dinner happens to be scheduled for eight o'clock in the evening, are you going to tell your client, um, uh, I'm sorry, but I follow this thing called intermittent fasting. And yeah, so I'll just sit here I'm, and drink water. Exactly <laughs> right. I'm just going to sit here and watch you eat. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's really, it's not convenient. And, and, and also, I, I think that there's something so important about listening to your own body's Hunger and fullness cues. When your body is hungry, when you are getting hunger pains, your body is telling you you need to eat something. And by ignoring your body's natural hunger cues, really throws things off. Mm-hmm. Um, now let's look at you know a fat loss perspective. You know a lot of people say, oh yeah, intermittent fasting. You know I'm going to lose all this body fat because you know I'm only eating in this window. Well. If you have an eight-hour eating window, you can still very well overconsume calories in that eight hours, right? right? And at the end of the day, if your body doesn't care if you feed it all of its calories in one hour or right. spread out over 10 to 12 hours, your body just recognizes the energy or calories that you consumed in a 24-hour period. Right. So Absolutely. Even with like, you know, and this kind of, kind of, kind of goes into, you know, you can't eat past seven o'clock, no eating past <laughs> eight. Right? Your body's yep. not going to say, Oh my God, Lisa, you're feeding me at eight o'clock. Well, I'm just going to take all this energy and I'm going to just store it all as fat. Your body, your body doesn't do that. Your body just says, Oh, look at this in a 24 hour clock." we actually consume less calories, regardless of when you ate. So you consumed maybe the bulk of your calories in the afternoon, evening, but you are still under the total calories of the day that you need to maintain your weight. So guess what? Now you're actually still losing weight. Um, you know, I always say that, you know, everything, everybody is different. Everybody's lifestyles are different. Everybody's schedules are different. And sometimes some people prefer to eat Smaller, more frequent meals spread out throughout the day. Other people, based on their schedules or their preference, they prefer to eat larger, less frequent meals. It's, it's all individual. It's basically, at the end of the day, what is going to work for you. But in terms of anything being effective for body fat loss, if you are in a caloric deficit, you will lose body fat. If you are over-consuming calories, you're going to gain weight. Right. So it's okay. not something magical. <laughs> and so they're really, what about, um, you kind of alluded to this, but if you're mm-hmm. eating, I've also been to see someone who told me to eat every two hours. Like not oh, big wow. portions, yeah. but but smaller portions, mm-hmm. just so mm-hmm. that my blood sugar levels didn't drop I think was the reasoning behind it. We're going back like 10 years ago now, but that's essentially the take home message. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that your jaw would get, Thor more than anything, you just be like a massage therapist for TMJ, right? Yeah, well, it was, I, I remember thinking, my God, is it time to eat again, like, already? <laughs> How is that possible? You'd probably be like, you know, doing a presentation somewhere, and all of a sudden yeah. you like, whoa, whoa, hang on, hang on, i just going to yeah. pull up my protein bar, and my knees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, when we're talking, if somebody's telling you to keep your blood sugar stable, then all of a sudden what I want to know is why do we question your blood sugars? Is there a reason to question your blood sugars? Mm -hmm. Um, Are you bonking every two hours? And, again, that's when I will get my clients to get blood drawn up to see, okay, let's see what your fasting blood sugars are. Let's do an A1C. So let's go over the course of – it's basically um, over the course of three months an A1C will determine basically the average um, uh, fasting blood sugar over that time and what exactly your pancreas is is doing in terms of releasing insulin. So, you know, I think the problem is, I think there's a lot of information out there, whether it is you know, through people's own anecdotal experience, or through social media, what we read all the time. But unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And unfortunately, a lot of times people with the largest platforms, whether it be like on social media, for example, or people with, you know, the biggest teams, quote, unquote, in terms of, you know, um, you know, you know, body transformations, you know, join this team and you lose all this body fat. Unfortunately, sometimes these are the people that are the least qualified to be doing this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so when I take on a client and I give them my HLQ form and they give it back and they're like, whoa, that was like really in depth. It's because I (laughs) want to know everything about you. And I do, like coming from a medical fitness background, I do work with a lot of my clients' physicians. So whether they are like a pulmonary specialist, I work with a lot of cardiologists, I work with a lot of endocrinologists and gynecologists, because it's a collaborative approach. It's Mm -hmm. that we need to look at the underlying issue. And for, you know, somebody just to randomly say, you need to eat every two hours to maintain your blood sugar. I mean, look at the caveman, like the caveman (laughs) fasted and walked for days before food, you know, just snacking on some berries. So our our bodies are naturally designed, designed to go for longer periods of time without food. Now, you know, the caveat being that, you know, if you go for too long of a period without food, then you might notice a dip in your glycogen stores, you might feel a bit weak, shaky, cranky, like hangry, quote unquote. But at the end of the day, If, you know, if you've got to eat every two hours, I, you know, there's something more underlying than that. And, um, and I want to see more blood work than anything. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about um, menopause and aging and um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: the myth around that. So there's, there's certainly something I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard it as well. So as women age, they will inevitably gain body fat, particularly, Mm -hmm interabdominal mm-hmm. fat. And that's just right. part of menopause and aging. Right, right. You know what? Um, I, I would definitely say that, I mean, it's, it is twofold, is that um, the thing of it is about a lot of the peri and postmenopausal clients that I have in terms of gaining interabdominal fat is that these women have had a lifetime of going on crash diets. So whether it is the, you know, I mean, this is like really dating it back and probably dating me, but the cabbage soup diet. Oh yeah. There's you know, the Scarsdale diet. Um, there's the, like the banana diet. Like there's, they have had such a history of going into these deficits. Obviously the diet not working and then them regaining the weight. Now the thing of it is, Every time we throw our body into a severe caloric deficit, our body says, huh, okay, well, I have two places that I can pull from for glycogen. Okay, so obviously it's not going to pull it from the liver, right? Because your liver needs it. So I'm going to pull from either muscle tissue or fat Mm -hmm. tissue. Okay, so say, for example, somebody is used to Eating 3,000 calories a day, and that's keeping them in excess weight. So they are, say, 50 pounds overweight because they're consuming on average 3,000 calories a day. Now their metabolism is able to function and keep them at that 50 pounds of excess, consuming 3,000 calories. Now all of a sudden, that individual goes on a crash diet of, you know, 800 calories. Now all of a sudden, the, the metabolism down regulates because it says, whoa. I'm not getting any calories and gosh, I need to, I need to fuel all of my involuntary functions like, you know, digestion and, and um, you know, cardiorespiratory and just, just all those involuntary functions for your central nervous system. So the body says, okay, well, I'm going to downregulate the metabolism and we're going to kind of not screech to a halt, but really lower to basically function where it's going to try and sustain itself on 800 calories. And then the body's going to say, but you know what? I'm not getting the, all the extra calories that I was used to. So the body says, okay, well, I can pull from two sources, okay? And this is going back to carbohydrate and glycogen storage. I can pull from fatty tissue or I can pull from muscle mass. Now, from a survival standpoint, your body says, okay, let's look at the role of muscle and let's look at the role of fat. Muscle tissue is highly metabolic. So essentially, it's very fat-burning. Okay, mm-hmm. And fat, on the other hand, has many more roles. Fat, it regulates your hormones. It keeps you warm. It, it cushions your organs. These are essential functions for human life. Unfortunately, a lot of muscle tissue isn't. So the body says, you know what? I'm just going to pull some muscle tissue. So then, when we go on diets all the time, we get muscle degradation or muscle atrophy. So we lose muscle mass. Now, knowing that muscle is a highly metabolic tissue, we're actually downregulating our metabolism even more. So when we find out that this diet doesn't work, we shoot back up to the 3,000 calories that we're accustomed to, and, 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 and we're ready to binge out on everything because we've been um, depriving ourselves of so much of so many calories and they'll do all the good things. But unfortunately the metabolism just can't shoot back up to 3000 calorie potential. It needs to slowly get there, but it never really gets there because we've already lost metabolically active muscle tissue due to the diet alone. So Mm. now you've gained back all your weight and more. And typically when we gain back body fat, it comes in the form of a triglyceride, which then gets deposited around your midsection. And the reason why is because that's where our organs are. Your body says, right. well, I'm not going to go to the feet. What is that going to do, right? I'm not, right. not going to go to your face. I'm going yeah. right to the abdomen because guess what? My major organs and and, 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 and those those mechanisms to keep me alive are located there. So I need right. to protect them. So when I get a client that has had years of dieting and dieting and dieting, guess what? They've been gaining all of this inter abdominal fat. So there's the history of dieting that we need to look at. So that's definitely an area that I go into to see if, you know, is this a client that's been dieting for years? What have they tried? What was their success rate? And so on. And then and I also so- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was just going to say, so do you yeah. find there are specific things that tend to work for um, these types of women? Absolutely. And basically what it is, it's metabolic recompositioning. So mm. what I start with is I take cardiovascular exercise um, down. I don't take it out of the equation, but I definitely minimize it. So I basically get um, my clients who might be very stressed out at that time. Obviously, we live in a high-stress world. So their cardio is walking. And predominantly, they need to walk outside, not mm-hmm. on a treadmill, schlupping it in the gym, because I always say, you know, gyms have a very negative energy about them majority of the people in that gym actually don't want to be there. And guess what? The first thing people say True. when they leave the gym, this is the best part because I'm done. Right? That's really negative energy. So yeah. what I always say is like, God, we got to get outside. We have to connect with nature. And, I mean, I mean, I live in Winnipeg, so it's really cold here. And I always mm-hmm. tell my clients, you know what, there's a lot of really fashionable, high-end, Really warm gear that you can buy that is going to enable you to walk outside when it's minus thirty, and you still get that workout in and keep warm. Because the thing of it is, even when it's overcast outside and when we don't see that sun, we still get vitamin D. We still feel that you know the the um, you know the air blowing past our face. We still breathe in that fresh air. We feel you know we can hear the crunch of the snow underneath our feet, it really evokes all of our senses. And it allows us to take those deep breaths. And, you know, I always tell my clients, I say, I guarantee you, you will feel far better if Mm -hmm. you get outside and go for a walk and freaking stop and smell the roses than if you got on a treadmill in a gym setting and walked on that treadmill for half an hour. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, so it has true. To do, it's It's with our mental health, and again, mm-hmm. our mental health. If we're feeling crappy, then chances are we're not going to make the best, you know, dietary decisions. We might not be, you know, having our best intentions to look and feel our best at heart. You know, Great. so I I always say that there's um, you know, in terms of you know the things that we can do. I think that's very essential. It, and and you know what, um, I, you know, I don't want to. Um, you know, stereotype. You know, you know, sixty-year-old women that are sixty-year-olds now. But you know, when they were growing up, exercise wasn't a huge thing. Um, even right. women that are seventy, like they just, they may, maybe they grew up on a farm, for example, and they they got movement in just by working on the farm. But to go to a gym and sweat it out, it wasn't it wasn't a huge thing. So to expect a client who needs to lose weight to all of a sudden go buy a gym membership and feel really vulnerable and insecure about mm-hmm. themselves around people that seem to know what they're doing and, and it out on a treadmill or something that feels really unnatural to them. Uh, they, they need to just get outside. It, it, it's great for, you know, obviously their own experience and what makes them comfortable and feel comfortable, something that they can maintain. And also it drives that mental health. Yeah. Um there there there's another part that I I go through um with my clients in terms of, you know, that I always call it the stages of life. And you know, let's look, you know, do we rush to blame menopause right away to see, you know, do I have an underactive thyroid? And and actually one of my clients is um as a, a OBGYN, and so she sends a lot of her clients to me when The client approaches her and says, you know, I've got an underactive thyroid, I'm gaining all this body fat, you know, put me on hormones. And so my client will say, okay, whoa, whoa. whoa." okay, so we're going to do, you know, a blood draw on you. And we're going to see exactly, is it your thyroid or not? Do you have an underactive thyroid? Blood work comes back, thyroid is perfectly fine. And so then she sends them to me, and then we get the ball rolling from there. And what I usually go through is sort of how we evolve in our stages of life. So, you know, just think of when you're 20 years old, you know, maybe you are going to university and maybe you're going to university possibly maybe away from home. And so, right. you know, you don't have, you know, uh, any home cooking coming at you. So you're basically li- living off of a box of crab dinner a day. And so the calories that are coming in are actually quite small. And then when we're looking at, You know, what you do for work. Well, chances are maybe you waitress or maybe you um, work in children's activities or maybe you lifeguard and stuff like that. You work very active roles. Maybe you work in retail. So you're very up and on your feet. And maybe the way that you entertain with friends is, you know, you go to the beach and you play beach volleyball or you go to the park and you throw around, um, you know, a Frisbee because guess what? You don't have a lot of money to do things. And then fast forward to our 30s. And around our 30s, you know, we've graduated university. We've got that, that, you know, that real cushy job that we've always aspired to have. And for the most people, that usually involves sedentary jobs so now we're sitting more so our job is now gone from being active to sitting and now okay introduce a couple children so now you have a couple of kids and even actually before the kids now you are playing you know um that um that honeymoon period with your husband where or, or partner where you're matching him bite for bite plate for plate well guess what he's six feet tall and like 185 pounds you're five foot two and like know, a hundred and whatever (laughs) pounds, you know, like your calorie needs a lot different. I digress, you know. So you, so you know, the calories coming in are a lot more, and your sedentary behavior comes a lot less. And then you know, then you get pregnant, and you know, and as a, um, I, I work with a lot of pregnant women, as I am certified to work with um, pre and postnatal women as a trainer, and and mm-hmm. I always tell them that you know, prenatal, you only need an excess of 150 calories a day, so that's just maybe like an apple and a piece of cheese, and then of course postnatal, it's about 350 calories when they're nursing, so. You know, we have this idea that you're going to be eating for two, and so naturally we gain more weight than what we are supposed to be gaining during our pregnancy. And so now we've got this excess weight to lose, and, but by now we're really busy with kids and, you know, we're eating off their plates because they've left their food there. We don't want to waste it. And, and you know, now our focus, maybe we exercise before, and now our focus has gone from doing our stuff and really pouring into our cup. Pouring into our children, and so now your focus is totally on them, and and your your activities now are sitting behind a car wheel, steering wheel, driving them to their practices, and sitting on the bleachers or the bench, cheering them on because that's what parents do, and so now the weight is really starting to slowly creep on, and then you know now fast forward to um, that you've worked your 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 you know, cushy, you know, aspirated job or aspiring job for 25 years. And, and now you are kind of almost getting into that empty nest syndrome where the kids are getting ready to leave. And now, you know, you have those financial resources to really entertain your friends with fine wines and cheese and, and a Mm -hmm. nice dinner. Like, How many 60 year olds or 50 year olds or even 40 year olds are telling their friends, you know, let's go to the park and throw around the frisbee, right? Right, right. We just don't do that. (laughs) We typically entertain with food and alcohol or food and whatever. And so, you know, and then fast forward to a lady that, you know, is perior or postmenopausal or going through menopause, and she looks at herself in the mirror and she's like, whoa, oh, who is this person? And when we look at You know, this is going back to muscle mass. When you look at our age and how our bodies change, after the age of between, everyone is different, between the age of 35 and 40, women will lose half a pound of muscle every single year. So if you take a lady from, you know, we'll say 30 years of age to 60 years of age, so that 30 years, that is 15 pounds of metabolically active muscle tissue that she has lost if she has not done any weight-bearing activity. So let's take, for example, a client of mine who exercise just kind of wasn't in the cards. It's just not something that they did. You know, she's 60 years old now. She definitely has not done any weight-loading activity from the age of 30 to 60, let alone ever started in the first place. So now all of a sudden her storage capacity for glycogen or carbohydrates is lower, right? right? So yeah. she can't eat the same way that she did when she was eating the box of craft dinner when she was 20. She mm-hmm. just does not have that space. So naturally any carbohydrates in excess of what our body can store will be stored as body fat. So she looks at herself in the mirror and she's like, Oh my God, I don't understand what's happened. And naturally, we want to deviate to menopause. Well, it must be menopause. What else could it be? It can't be anything that I've done. And, and, it, and it comes on gradually. So I, look, right. I like to look at all aspects. I like to make sure that their blood work doesn't actually show an underactive thyroid because then we need to address that. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things that go into play there. You know, what is her history on dieting? Has she been a chronic dieter her entire life? You know, what is her age? What has her activity been? You know, and you know, also, let's look at that blood work. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to it. Can we say it's just menopause? You know, I like to kind of proceed with caution with that, but I like to look at the whole spectrum and, again, right. the underlying issues. Yeah, perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. So... um, We've covered a lot of questions here, <laughs> and you've been. I'm looking at it. I'm like, wow. I think I think we've pretty much covered it all. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things I do want to talk about too is yeah. um, how do people get a hold of your recipe books? Yeah. I don't want to yes. forget about this because I <laughs> I know I've got two or give three or how many do you have? I'm pretty sure I've, I have yeah. at least two. I have three of them. I have, okay. and, and, and make sure that you tell me which one that you don't have, because I'll send you a copy of that one as well. Oh, awesome. Yeah, Thank you. I've got, <laughs> I've got my, um, the first one that I did was called Body by O'Brien. Um, yep. The second one that I did was called The Undomestic Chef. And the reason why I called it The Undomestic Chef was because I am probably the least domestic person that you will ever, Ever meet? <laughs> oh, really? Um, I I would rather use my you know my oven for like storing extra purses and shoes than I <laughs> for baking. Because. But you know, at the same time, though, I like I really enjoy um, finding um, and creating a remaking, finding recipes and remaking them so that they are waste friendly, with the premise that they have to be high in fiber, high in protein and lower in fat. Because, you know, I I think that in order to lose, and this is what I really firmly believe in, is that in order to lose body fat, if that's your goal, and to look and feel your very best, it should not feel punitive. Because Mm -hmm. when it feels punitive, it's not going to last. Temporary results only lead to temporary changes, and then you're back to square one. So it's really important for me, whether I have a client that you know, is trying to lose body fat or wants a custom meal plan, that their foods taste fantastic. You should always look forward to everything that you eat. So that's sort of the premise behind my book. So the end domestic chef is basically on recipes that use minimal ingredients that are really easy to make that taste really great. And then the last one that I did was the holiday recipe ebook. So basically, I took really popular holiday items like, you know, um, stuffing and, you know, uh, desserts with eggnog in them and all the really comfort foods. And I created uh, recipes for that. So um, the holiday one has about 35 to 40 recipes and the other two have about 70 to 75 different recipes that they can try and they are you know you know breakfast and lunches yeah. meals snacks everything desserts, everything everything and i do give the macronutrient breakdown and the calorie breakdown of uh, the first two books um in both the um the undomesticated Chef and the uh, Body bio brine. Um And the other one, um, just know that they are always friendly and that they're high in fiber, high in protein. And, in, and the reason why I took them out is because during the holidays, I don't want clients being really overwhelmed with counting calories. I just want them to be able to trust that if they're having a portion from the recipe, that they're still staying within their guidelines. So nice. in order to access mm-hmm. that, I have, um, they can get it from my website. There is a tab that says shop under o'brienfitness.net and they can purchase it through there or it is also on Instagram you can just go to my link tree so there's a link in my profile and it takes you down to a drop menu and it says my store or shop my store and then you just click on that and it'll take you right to all three books. Yes super easy that's how I purchased it actually through Instagram so great Yeah. yeah there's I I'm surprised that you say that you're not domesticated because that <laughs> first book that you came out with, I was like, Oh my God, this is so good. She must be a chef. Who knew? <laughs> right. But you know what I think that it is maybe, you know, what I, I probably it's not, it's not that I don't enjoy it because I definitely wouldn't put the recipe books together if I didn't, I think right. for me, it's more so that I'm really against being such a career orientated Female and entrepreneur, mm-hmm. I do not believe that women are the ones that have to be in the kitchen. I am Yeah, against absolutely that, against that. So that's sort of, I think, where that cheeky behavior comes from is that, mm-hmm. you know what? I will create something when I want to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but Hilarious. It. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't expect it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Absolutely, so, um, yeah, I think we covered off on everything, yeah. and I really like your message it's It's really a lot about balance, and I think yeah. that's what will resonate with a lot of people who are listening to this podcast because mm-hmm. you're not talking about extremes, and I think no. any yeah. of us who've who've mm-hmm. um gone down the paths of diets in the past have it's always about extremes, right, and I'm all about getting that balance in our lives. So if we can incorporate that with exercise and nutrition and feeding our bodies, what it needs. And at the same time,
1: Mm -hmm. um,
0: getting to that point where we're super healthy and we look in the mirror and we're happy with what we see, that's where it's at, right? Absolutely. It's always about balance. Bang on. So we will end it at that. Thanks again, Michelle. And um, again, everyone who wants to check out Michelle and um, the the different ways that she can help you, please contact her directly through her um, website or go to Instagram. Perfect. That's great. Thanks so much, Michelle. You're most welcome, Lisa. It was honestly,